Thank you. <coughs> right. I apologise straight away because I know when I'm speaking, I fiddle with my glasses. They're on and off, on and off, on and off. I'd love, I'm still waiting. I'm hoping one day God will heal my eyes so I don't have to wear the wretched things. <laughs> okay. If I was to title what I was going to talk about this morning, it would be about being overwhelmed. What do we do when we just feel overwhelmed? And I'm sure I'm not the only person here that has many, many times of life when you just feel you just don't know what to do. You know, when those mountains just seem so high. Okay, so I'm going to re start by reading a chunk of scripture. So if you do have your Bibles, if you turn to 2 Chronicles 20. Okay. So it's 2 Chronicles chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Okay. It happened after this that the people of Moab, with the people of Ammon and others with them beside the Ammonites, came to battle against Jeho Jehoshaphat. He was the king of Israel at that time, the king of Judah. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tama, which is Engadi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judea they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judea and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now all Judea, with their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel, the son of Zechariah. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing it all wrong, but I'm trying. The son of Benai, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all of you of Judea and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judea and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground 
and all Judea and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kathites and of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judea, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. <coughs> and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord sent ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judea, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an, an, an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked out towards the multitude, and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewellery, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barak, Baraka, for there they blessed the Lord... And the name of that place was called the Valley of Baraka until this day. Then they returned, every man of Judea and Jerusalem, with Jehoshaphat in front of them, to go back to Jeru Jerusalem with joy for the Lord, had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem and sh with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdom of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God gave him rest all around. Okay, so just a little bit of background. I don't know if I can see it without my glasses. <laughs> um, in 2 Chronicles 19, verse 4, it actually talks about when King Jehoshaphat goes out amongst his people. He mixes with his people and brings them back to the Lord. So that's a little bit of telling. So we know when we start reading um, chapter 20, leading up to that, it shows that Jehoshaphat is a man of God. And not only is he a man of God, he's gone out and a bit of an evangelist, I suppose, and brought the people back to God. And we often find that after every blessing or amazing time or experience that we have, there often comes a time of testing. Because any friend of God is an enemy of Satan. So in verse 2, it tells us that a great multitude comes to Jehoshaphat and tells him that a great multitude is coming against you to attack you. I think if you just put yourself in his shoes, that uh, the Israelites were just a small amount of people compared to those that were set out to kill them. And outside of God, there was no way that the Israelites would have survived. They were going to be slaughtered. If that was me, well, I, don't, I think I'd be running for the hills. I'd be absolutely terrified. You know, it wasn't just, you know, a few people coming to give them a bit of a punch-up. They were coming out to totally destroy the people. I think a very good case for being overwhelmed. Not much chance of surviving. 
And I think we can think in our own lives of many situations where we just feel overwhelmed, that it just feels impossible, that outside of a miracle, there is just no way we're going to survive or stand or get through the situation. So King Jehoshaphat feels overwhelmed and badly shaken. But what does he do? And I think as I read through this chapter, it's such a a beautiful um, lesson for us in learning how do we deal with situations? How do we deal with mountains? How do we deal with being overwhelmed? So there's great instruction in it for us when we feel trapped in a corner and just don't know what to do. The first thing that he does, he gets before the Lord to seek him and to proclaim a fast throughout the land. So whatever we face, whatever that situation, whether it's a terminal illness, you know, whether it's the losing a job, no matter what it is, the first thing we should do is get before God. Never let a problem intimidate you. Let it motivate you to get before God. And this is exactly what King Jehoshaphat does. Next, he reminds God of what his word says. This is what is talked, we talk about using the word. The word of God is a sword in our hand. So it's about learning to trust God. So in verses 6 to 10, Jehoshaphat gets before God and says, he reminds God of what his word says. Are you not God in heaven? God says he's God in heaven. God says that he rules over all the kingdoms of the nations. In God's hands there is power and might that nobody can withstand him. So it's reminding God, or reminding ourselves really, what does the word of God say? And this is all about learning to trust God more, believe in him more, and learning to depend on him more. Jehoshaphat prays personally, and I think sometimes it's very easy, isn't it, to run to everybody else. I'm not saying that we shouldn't get other people to stand with us, but really our first port of call should be us and God. We don't have a relationship with God for other people. You know, we have it through God. I was brought up in the Catholic faith, and we're taught that you went through the priest. That is not true. You have a personal relationship with God. And I do believe there's times when God blinds people to us, but they don't hear us because God wants to teach us that there's times we need to go to him and go to him first. It's very tempting, isn't it? Um, so I'm doing it again. Um, when, when you're in a sticky situation, it's very tempting just to go and switch the telly on and block out, you know, just to switch off from the situation, you know, or to start working out a plan, trying to, you know, think, well, should I do that? Should I do this? But the best thing to do is to go to God first and not as a last resort. In 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14 it says, If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And that's what we need to do. Who do you turn to when you're really sick? It amazes me how, um, I'm not saying it's wrong to go to the doctors by the way. But as soon as we feel sick, the first thing we do often is run to the doctors. But actually, it says in the word that God is our great physician. So I think I would really recommend just going to him first before the doctors. Again, it's not wrong to go to the doctors, but it's going to God first. It's so easy to block God out of different parts of our lives. There's some areas that we probably have great faith in. I know um, a friend here always knows that God's going to provide for him 
financially. So there's some areas that we can have great faith in, but there's other areas that, you know, we, we're not as good. <laughs> okay. Um, the second thing, focus on God and not the problem. Especially when you feel overwhelmed, it's so hard, isn't it, to get your eyes off the problem and look at God. But exactly what God wants us to do is to focus on him. So, don't have enough money, I've really messed up at work. Um, what's the solution? It's God, and it's looking at him. He knew exactly what was going to happen to you before you were even born. Okay, he knew exactly every single sin we were going to do, every mess we were going to get ourselves into, every situation. And the good news is, he has a plan. He's got the solution. Um, I just read this quote from Corrie ten Boom. If you look at the world, you will be oppressed. If you look within, you will be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you will be impressed. How many times has God come through for you? I, I was, would not be standing here today if, and I'll perhaps share a little bit more later, if God had not come through for me, not just once, but time and time and time again. I would be dead, absolutely. It's remembering how, God big God, how big God is. He is the creator of the universe, not how big the problem is. Whatever situation seems massive to us is just like a tiny weeny ant to God. And we, mean, we need to be careful not to believe that Satan has more power than God. I think sometimes we, we can look at the demonic and, and the devil and think that he's this m massive, massive power that's equal to God. He's not. He's just, again, like a tiny ant under God's feet. He's only allowed to do what God allows him to do. And God does allow him to attack us and do things purely because God wants to teach us about depending on him and he wants us to, to learn to really trust and have faith in God. And you can look throughout the whole of Scripture and see that God actually uses Satan as his puppet to bring about what God wants to do, to bring about God's purposes. So it's to get the mindset when the enemy attacks, whippy, whippy, uh, now God's going to do something amazing for me and make me more like him. Problems shrink as God expands in our life because he is powerful. He is in control. All things are possible. He can do abundantly more than we can possibly imagine. And this time and time again, again, I see when I'm really worried about something, as I'm busy there worrying, it's like God has snuck in the back door and sorted it all out. <coughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs> okay, in 2 Chronicles 20, oh, I've not put which verse it was. Sorry, let me just find it. Anyway, it's just has us up praise. O God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? This is the same God today who has the power and might in his hand to help you. And remember what he's done for you in the past. It's really good to keep a journal and jot down things. Uh, we do forget. I've had amazing miracles, which I think I would never forget, but I do. So I try and write everything down so I can look back. You know, when you're feeling despair and hopeless, it's good to be able to look back and just see how God has come through for you before, 
just reminding yourself how often, you know, God's helped in the past. And remember what God has promised. Did you know there's over 7,000 promises in the Bible for us? For example, um, Jehovah Jireh is our provider. I will provide for you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. It doesn't matter how you feel. There are times it does feel like God's left, but he hasn't. You know, sometimes the emotions can be like a blanket between us of God and stop us feeling him. Sometimes he, I think he purposely lets you feel he's withdrawn because he wants you to dig a bit deeper. But he promises that he will never leave or forsake us. Even when we turn our back from him, he still never leaves us. I'm able to do abundantly more than you can possibly imagine. I just love that verse because I've got a big imagination. And, and I, you know, I've got a massive imagination, yet God still does beats it. He still does more than I could possibly imagine. I will go before you and prepare the way. He promises that he goes before. Whatever situation we go into, God will have been before us, prepared the way, and got a solution. And so there's so many. I mean, I'm not going to tell you all 7,000 because it will take a long time. Okay. I read this the other day. When we read the Bible, there are two things that help us to meet God in his word. The first is to read with absolute assurance that God is love. God doesn't just love us. He is love. And the second is to try to know the cultural context. This brings detail alive with added meaning. There was a time when um, <clears throat> I was dying and there was nothing, the, uh, I was actually in that process in the hospital, I was dying. There was nothing that could be done for me to live. And Jesus appeared to me. I was very privileged that, you know, to, to have that experience. And when I looked into Jesus' eyes, it was like looking in eyes of pure love. There's no human words to describe the pools of love that Jesus' eyes were. And as I looked into his eyes, I'd got a newborn baby right in, you know, in the little cot next to me. I'd got four little children at home. But I knew at that when I looked in those eyes of love, I knew that no, if that was my time to die, that God's love for me and my children, it would be okay, that my newborn baby would be okay, and that my other children at home would be okay. Because because God didn't just love me, he loved them. And I just had that real assurance at that moment. And realized that all death is when, you, when you're a believer is stepping, taking Jesus' hand and stepping over. Obviously, you know, it wasn't my time and God gave me back, you know, gave life back to me. And I wish I could really describe those pools of love that I can't. But all I can say that when the Bible, God is love. He doesn't just love us, he is love. And because he loves us, no matter what, he will sort out our situations if we'll just allow him to. Sometimes he does it even if we don't really let him, but you know, but I think he prefers to work with us really so we can learn. Also, to another thing, as well as the promises in the Bible, it's to think of the prophetic words that God has given to you personally. In verse 14, um, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel, the son of Zechariah, etc., etc. And he said, Listen, all of you, Jerusalem, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, 
Thus says the Lord. So he brings a prophetic word, do not be afraid nor dismayed. And I, I would really encourage, I, I just, I love the prophetic. It brings such hope. You know, when you have a word from God straight, you know, to you, maybe it's for a person, give, it brings hope. If, if the fruit of it brings hope, then you know it's from God. And I think for whatever situation you're in, again, if, you have a, if somebody brings you a prophetic word, then write it down. Go back and read it. Take it to God. It's good to weigh it up, but take it before God. Because I find that God, God's so gracious to us that I find often, just before we go into a situation that's going to be overwhelming, it's often he will bring a prophetic word, and that's to hold on to while we go through whatever it is that we're going to go through. And I'd really encourage you to step out. If you have a word or a picture for somebody, often, you know, majority of the ones that are spot on are those that seem a bit weird or a bit, oh, how can that be right? But I would encourage you, it, it, you know, what stops us, it's a bit of pride, really, isn't it? Well, I'm shy. Well, actually, it's a bit of pride. You know, when I don't do it, it's because I think, oh, they might think I'm a bit silly, you know, which is my pride. But you could be... You could be just what bringing just what that person needs in that situation right now, and if you've got it wrong, does it matter? No, it doesn't. You know, it really doesn't. So I'd really encourage you to step out and bring what you feel God's saying, and also for those that, when you have words, go back and write them down. Go back and read them. Take them to God. The next thing to do is to appeal to God's character. We know that God is good, we know he's faithful, we know he's just, and we know he's fair. And this again is what Jehoshaphat does. If you go back into um, it's Exodus, I think, it, it, we learn that hundreds of years previously, when Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt, those very tri- God told the Israelites not to ki- They killed everybody as they went into the Promised Land, apart from the three tribes that are now coming to attack them. For some reason, God said not to kill the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the, the other ones. <laughs> so the, those very tribes are now coming to attack them, which seems a bit unfair, doesn't it? So in verses uh, 10 and 12, yeah, the Ammonites, Moabites, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of, of your possession, which you've given us to inherit. So Jehoshaphat knows who God is. He knows what God's done for him in the past and what he has promised them for the future. And he reminds God of that. So again, stop looking at the problem. Look at God. Step three, admit our inability. We are powerless. This is actually the first step of the AA 12 steps, admitting that we are powerless over the situation. Again, if you just think of situations that you felt, felt powerless in the past, you know, um, for example, the crying babies, when you've got a baby, which I did have one that just didn't sleep for two years, and just whatever you do, they cried and cried, and you just feel absolutely powerless to stop this baby crying. Maybe you can't get out of debt. Maybe you've been made redundant. Maybe you're suffering with a chronic or terminal illness, 
or infertility, abusive marriage or relationship. Maybe you've got a child going off the rails. There's lots of, lots and lots of different situations that we may find ourselves that we just feel overwhelmed and not knowing what to do. And it's good to get to that place before God is saying, God, I can't do this. In verse 12, um, they say, Jehoshaphat says, we have no power against this great multitude that is coming and we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. The whole nation stood before God and said, we don't know what to do, but we're looking to you. And that's a really good place to get to, to say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Help, help, help. You know, just be honest. He knows anyway what you're feeling. So, you know, it's good to tell him, though. God has all the power in the world. He holds all the keys and he knows the end from the beginning. He's got it all in hand. Nothing surprises him. He never goes to sleep. Nothing catches him off guard. And, he, and I, I find this amazing that before he laid the foundations of the world, he knew exactly everything that was going to happen to us and he had a plan. And when we shout help, he says, just relax. <laughs> you just lay back, just relax. It's okay, it's my battle, not yours. Again, in verse 15, through the prophetic word, God says to them, the battle is not yours, but God. And we need just to learn to let go and let God. Otherwise, we end up exhausted, we ended up depressed, we end up despairing and totally overwhelmed, and the, the situation will go on much quicker. I'm trying to learn that the quicker I get before God and give it over, then the quicker I'm going to come out of it. Often we feel that we've let God down, but can I tell you something? I'll let you into a secret. We haven't because we're not holding God up in the first place. He's actually holding us up. And he want, I really believe that God wants us to learn to be completely dependent on him. He doesn't want us running around in our own strength. He wants us just to learn to be totally dependent on him. And I think, well, G and Jesus was. When Jesus walked on the earth as a man, he was totally dependent on his father. So why should we be any different? He only ever did what he saw his father doing. When God gives you a vision um, and asks you to do something, it's very rare that he'll ask you to do something you're able to do in your own strength. He usually calls you to do something that actually we can't because that's when we know that we're bound to fail unless he shows up. And that's because it's all about bringing glory to him and about teaching us how to trust him and to glorify him and to make us more like him. Again, many of you know that I work with the homeless and um, when I was first called to work working with the homeless, I was a single mum on benefits. I was terrified of being murdered. I would never go out of the village at night uh, and I was very shy. And I even told God, actually God, I'm willing to help, but I, there was somebody else I knew that I said to God, I, I named this person, I think he should do it and I'll help him. That's, that's the best solution. And God said, no, you're to do it. And over that time, I'd love to tell you that I went in brilliantly, but I didn't. I went in terrified, very naive, learned a lot. I, I, I learned by my mistakes. 
I wish I tell that to my staff <laughs> when they first start because you know I'm I wish it was different but I, I only learn by getting it wrong really but I think that's because God just want with me he just wanted to show me that you know I just all I had to do was depend on him and he would change me and over the years his, his change still is changing me and teaching me and I'm learning so much about him and I've seen so many miracles because I wouldn't didn't have a clue and I didn't know what to do so the only way I could survive was by God coming through really I do believe that God allows problems into our lives to teach us how much we need him because he delights in working with us he, you know he loves us so much he wants to be with us every second of the time well he is but you know what I mean he wants us to be aware of that he wants to walk closely with us he wants us to hold his hand you know and, and to talk to him and he wants to show us things he wants us to grow in faith and trust and character and he wants us to learn to take our independent and trust in ourselves and our trying to control to be totally dependent and trusted in him what a beautiful place to live you know most beautiful place to live is when you know you're just with Jesus in him and he showed me this picture of um, being cut well you know if you remember we're so tiny to God and he just holds us cupped in his hands and he's, I just see him singing over us so no matter what battles we're in and it, and it can feel so fierce can't it but he's holding us in the midst of that battle. He's holding us in his hands and there's a protection around us. In um, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, there's a beautiful picture of him setting a banqueting table in the midst of our enemies. And I always have this picture of this field with this bloody battle going on all around and people's heads are being chopped off and spears everywhere. And we just sat at this table with Jesus, eating this beautiful food, oblivious to what's going around. And I think that's how God wants us to be. That no matter, it's not, you know, no matter how tough the battle is, that God has prepared a place for us to sit with Him in peace, for Him to help. And I'm not saying it's not painful. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. You know, when a loved one dies, it's right that we grieve and have that pain. But to know that even in that time, we can sit in a place of peace with God. You think about, um, it's just knowing that he is totally powerful. And I was thinking, um, I heard this story about um, being on a plane. You know, if you sat on a plane and it's starting to take off, do we start flapping our wings, you know, to help the plane? Flap, 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 flap. If we do, what, you know, it's irrelevant. Well, if we flap our if we flap our arms to help it or not, that plane's going to take off regardless without our help. And all that it does is tire us out. So just remember when you start to flap <laughs> in your situations, that what, all that's going to happen is you'll get exhausted. It's just about coming before God. Come before God. Once you get to the place of giving up and realising that you're not in control of your life, but God is, God's pleased. You know, again, if you feel, well, I need to be in control, I need to be in control. We didn't have any control over some of the major things in our lives. We did not have any control over when we were going to be born. We didn't have any control of who our parents, our blood parents are. We didn't have any control over what part of the world we were born, what our natural talents are that God's given us. 
So the only thing really that we have control is our attitude and how much we choose to trust God. Then in verses 17 to 18, um, it says, You will need not to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. God says, I will handle it. God is God, I'm not. <laughs> we can choose whether to worry or worship. Again, does worry ever change the situation? I had to ask myself this question once when I was really worrying. I was thinking, actually, does worry ever change the situation? No, all it does is make me feel worse. We don't have to fight or defend ourselves. Again, how many times do we try to defend ourselves when someone comes against us or criticises us? It's hard, isn't it, when somebody, especially when you know it's not true, and they're going about you, and you think, ooh, and you feel like you want to, you know, stand up. And I don't know about you, but I practice afterwards, oh, I should have said this, or I should have said that. But actually, God doesn't want us to. If we do, we may just feel for a short while really pleased and vindicated and thought, oh, I didn't get one over me then. But does it bring peace? Does it bring joy? Does it bring the fruits of the Spirit? Does it bring restoration of relationship? No. <laughs> so it's about letting God defend us, not defending ourselves. It's just learning just to smile and bless. <laughs> Don't run away from situations. Don't worry. It takes more courage to do nothing than to do something. Don't try and work it out behind the scenes. You know, how many times do you lay in bed for hours working out, well, if I do this or that, you know, and it sort of goes over and over and stops sleeping. Don't manipulate it. You know, there's times, isn't there, when we try and manipulate but just let God do it. He will t if he wants you to do something, he will tell you. When you've su submitted to God, and there are times that you, he may want you to do something, and it, will, it is often the opposite of what you really think. I think I've shared before the story of the daffodils. <laughs> when um, you know, I was asked to cancel a group to plant these thousands and thousands of daffodils, and I stuck my heels in and said, no, because this group was so important. And it really hurt the person that had asked me to do it. And, um, and for about three days, I stuck my feet in, but I really didn't have peace. I got before God, and I really thought God would agree with me. <laughs> I'd say, it's all right, I'll tell the other person they're wrong. But you know what he didn't? He said, Daddy, you need to cancel your group and take the group and do it, which we did, and that did restore that relationship. So often, you know, he might ask you to do something that you don't agree with or want, but I can guarantee you it will be the right thing. And again, it will be about not just sorting the situation out the best way, but about changing you as well. Okay. Um, it's having an attitude of quiet confidence and trust and standing still. Again, this, you know, we can't underestimate... Under the situations that the Israelites found themselves in, they would have been, they took, can you imagine, you know, mums in arms with their babies, that would have been slaughtered. It was a serious situation, death in a horrible way. And I think if, you know, as you read this passage, you see how confident they are that God's going to sort it. And that's how God wants us to be. And what's really lovely is you can ask God to help you get to that place as well, <laughs> you know. 
Um, he wants to teach us that he is sufficient in everything. Twice he says to Jehoshaphat, do not be afraid or discouraged. Has God ever lost a battle? No. So we don't need to worry because we are on the winning side. It doesn't always feel like that or seem like this, but ultimately we win. In verse, verse 20 it says, So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judea, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. So it's putting our faith in God, trusting the word of God and the character of God. And then he does an amazing thing. In verse 22, they send out the choir before the army. So worship team, where are you? Would you be happy to go out unarmed <laughs> before the British army? You know, just into the midst of the enemy? I'm not sure that I would. <laughs> but that's what God says. They, and they, they begin to thank God in advance and worship him. And they begin to praise and worship God. And as they go out worshipping, God sets an ambush. And uh, the three tribes end up killing themselves, killing each other. So, and the Israelites aren't aware of this. They're busy worshipping God, and it's not till they get the place to the place where the battle's going to be held that they see all these dead bodies before them. So they've not had to fight. Not one hair on their head has been harmed. They've not even seen it happen. They've got there, and it's all sorted. God has gone before them and sorted it out. As soon as they started to worship that's when the battle was won. So it's learning to worship God in the midst of the situation, even if you have to do it with gritted teeth. Don't, you don't wait till you feel like worshipping. Worship is a sacrifice at times. It doesn't matter whether you feel like it or not, if you have to do it with gritted teeth or tears streaming down your face, the moment you start to worship, in seconds, you feel a lot of that stuff lift off of you and God will sort it. <coughs> Job says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. So it's good to get to a place of thanking God for what he's going to do. In Matthew 7, verse 11, it says, So if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to everyone who asks him? Why, though you may ask, do we not get the answers straight away? Why doesn't we get, don't we get the answers? You've got to remember, God's not like a vending machine where you put your prayer in and out pops your chocolate or your answer. <laughs> you know, God knows the absolute best. He wants to do a deep work in us, and his timing is best. Even if it's years, that it will be the best timing. So next point. When you let God fight your battles and respond in joy and thanksgiving, you will get blessed beyond measure. There's great treasures in the darkness, and um, the following few verses talks about, um, verse 25 onwards, they, they find an abundance of valuables and precious jewellery. It takes them three days to gather all the spoil because there's so much. Again, there's always great treasures in the darkness. I just, um, again, I can look back over times of life. Um, I remember there was a time in my life a few years ago, great darkness in my life. It's when my first marriage broke up. And I remember um, just, 
I remember feeling that I was walking in desolation, that my heart was completely broken and everything was dark. But in those times, it was two years, I came to, I was a Christian before, but I came to know God in such a way. I came to know that God loved me so much. I came, I had, I, you know, God was so faithful. And there was great, I, I look back, I'm so, I, I, I'm so grateful to God for allowing me to walk through that time because of what I learned in that darkness. There were such treasures in that darkness that I know I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today without having walked through that immense pain. And there's a beautiful um, scripture in the Bible, Isaiah 54:11, about he makes our foundations of precious stones, sapphires, rubies, and, you know, and that's what God does. No matter what situations we walk through, there is great treasures, great blessings. And I, I miss those times sometimes because sometimes, you know, I know it's easy when life's going well and things are going okay. It's easy to get a bit blase and to lose sight a bit of God. And I'm, I, sometimes I find myself missing those times when I knew the only way I was going to get through the next hour, never mind the whole day, was if God came through for me, which he did, you know. So, you know, battles are part of our foundations. Okay. The Israelites didn't, as we read back over this passage, they did not really have to do anything. They didn't earn it or work for it. It was faith and, God, it was, and God's grace that delivered them, you know. It was a great witness to those around them as well because in verses 29 to 30 it says, And the fear of the Lord was on all the kingdom of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God, his God gave him rest all around, and he lived the rest of his life in peace. So that when the other countries heard about what had happened, what a witness it showed that our God was with the Israelites and they left them alone. So when we allow God to fight on our behalf, others will see how blessed we are and will be a great witness. Again, when uh, my marriage broke up, um, there was, I had a lot of friends in the village who were atheists. And, I, and before, and I used to think, God, how, you know, they all know that I'm a Christian. How will, you know, they'll, how will you be glorified in that? But God was because people saw what God did for me and he saw how blessed I was in so many situations. And he actually used a lot of them to bless me as well, actually. Yeah. So the word varaka, by the way, in Hebrew means blessing. So when we find ourselves in similar situations, we can be assured that there is blessings for us. So just to finish, really, when you're feeling yourself overwhelmed, firstly, turn to God. Second, focus on God and not the problem. Three, admit your ability to resolve it. We are inability, sorry, to resolve it. We are powerless. Four, praise is our weapon. And five, Respond in joy and thankfulness, and having done all, stand and see the deliverance of the Lord. Amen. Amen.